This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. What kind of a week has it been? Turbulent, rancorous, and ugly, as usual, in this worst of all years. More is being spent on the U.S. Senate race here in Michigan than on the presidential campaigns. And some say the Gary Peters versus John James race may lead to a record $200 million in expenditures here in Michigan. Over $100 million has already been spent on TV advertising. All Democratic congressional incumbents in Michigan appear safe this year, and Republicans have to worry about what are considered strongly Republican districts, the third and the sixth in West Michigan. Can the GOP hold on to those? As everyone knows, The two presidential candidates debated Thursday night in Tennessee, and I think Donald Trump actually gave his best debate performance ever, not just this year, but including 2016. Joe Biden, he's kind of the one-man default candidate with the bar set very low for him in a debate performance, and I think he met it. I think the real star of the debate was Kristen Welker, the moderator. She did an outstanding job. And for that matter, Susan Page did a great job in the vice presidential debate. I think both women did a better job moderating than Chris Wallace did in the first Trump-Biden debate. Meanwhile, COVID-19 cases are up again in Michigan, nearly 1,600 new cases and 33 new deaths on a single day early in the week. And by now, over 1,000 cases a day for the 14th straight day. Overall, confirmed cases for the year so far in Michigan have hit more than 150,000 and deaths have passed the 7,000 mark. Governor Gretchen Whitmer appears flummoxed. She said at a press conference, Earlier this week, quote, our numbers are not good. They're moving in the wrong direction. We are at a dangerous moment where the current rise of cases can turn into community spread that is out of control, unquote. But she said she can't say what the next week is going to look like precisely. Meanwhile, the Michigan Information Research Service newsletter reported that a group of health, university, labor, and business leaders have come together to tell, quote, to have complete unity of purpose, unquote, and the government leaders should, quote, foster that unity, unquote, in the fight against COVID-19. The open letter included the names of hospital leaders and university presidents, as well as leaders from Motors, UAW, the AFL-CIO, and several other corporations and business organizations. The letter cites the, quote, latest surge in cases, unquote, in the wake of the Michigan Supreme Court decision a couple of weeks ago that, quote, spawned an unfortunate period of public confusion 
about how our state should manage the virus and weakened behaviors, unquote. The leaders commended Whitmer and lawmakers for extending unemployment benefits. That happened last week. The governor signed the bills this week. And for getting, quote, common sense liability protections, unquote, in place. But now these business leaders want to see that strategy applied to getting the surging case levels under control. These leaders, quote, clearly defined mandatory standards which govern mass usage, workplace practices, public gatherings, and certain social activities, unquote. The leaders want the focus to be, quote, deploying with discipline, unquote, the health orders issued by Whitmer's Department of Health and Human Services that were designed to replace some of her executive orders that have now been ruled unconstitutional. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky told MERS on Tuesday of this week that he's concerned about any reaction to what he calls a, quote, case-demic, unquote. He wants to monitor hospitalization rates, length of stay, demographic distribution of new cases, intensity of illnesses, and other factors as part of any reaction. House Speaker Lee Chatfield agreed that hospitalization rates have to be monitored, but he concurred that some, quote, serious cooperation between the legislature and administration needs to happen. And in that regard, a House Republican task force unveiled a plan early this week that would allow health experts at the county level to have some control over what happens in their communities if certain metrics are adhered to. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says more than one and a half million Michiganders have already voted absentee. And a couple of groups monitoring the mail-in returns disagree whether they're tilting more in favor of Democrats, as has been believed, or whether Republicans are actually mailing in ballots at a slightly higher rate. Election cephologists, that means bean counters, folks, say they think the total number of votes cast both in person and mail-in may hit a record high 6 million in Michigan this year. Then there was a little notice decision by the federal Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals that pleased Republicans and angered Democrats. It involves something that's called vote harvesting, which Democrats applaud and have put into law in California and which Republicans argue is a recipe for fraud and rigged elections. Here's what the Democrats had to say about the court's decision, and this is from the party's chair. Quote, Michigan is the only state in the country that does not allow drivers to be paid to transport voters to polling locations on Election Day. Every voter in this country, including Michiganders, has the right to access the polls. For some, that simply means they need a ride. Given the wide discrepancy of the availability of mass transit across Michigan, the option to use a rideshare program like Uber or Lyft, both of which offer free rides to polling locations on Election Day in 49 other states, could be a resource for voters, but not in Michigan. 
the Republicans have once again purposefully created another barrier to voting. The fact that our courts are supporting these efforts is just another reason that we need to elect Democrats up and down the ticket, including to the state Supreme Court, unquote. To that, Republicans are saying, quote, are you kidding? How can anybody say that with a straight face? Everyone understands what the Democrats dream of doing if vote harvesting, and that's what they call it, is legalized. Now, here are some questions that were posed by the MERS newsletter to a battery of pundits early this week, and I'll give you a question and my answer. First question, a Mitchell Research Communications poll just released has former vice president in the 2016 election. A similar poll had Hillary Clinton up by 12 points. Could Trump conceivably win Michigan again? I think it's extremely doubtful, and it's hard to believe that Hillary Clinton was up by that much at the same time four years ago. Could the last-minute erosion of the Democratic nominee's support happen again? I continue to believe that there have been way too many polls showing Biden substantially ahead, enough so that even if he erodes, he won't leave lightning will strike twice in the same place. There are more questions from MERS and more of my answers, but you'll have to go to my website, theballengerreport.com, to see the answers. We will be back in a minute with our first guest. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have got a very special guest here, former chief judge of the Michigan Court of Appeals, Bill Whitbeck. Judge Whitbeck, thanks for being our guest. It's my pleasure, Bill. Thank you for having me. Well, look, there's so much confusing stuff going on. Let me just ask you this question. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer has gone to her Department of Health and Human Services and had them kind of reintroduce or underscore uh, executive orders at the departmental level, let's call them, uh, to get various entities, uh, businesses, and otherwise in Michigan to conform to the intent of her original executive orders, which have now been declared unconstitutional by the state Supreme Court. And you're basically de facto putting in place what the court has said should not have been put in place in the first place. How do you react to that as a judge? We need your legal and judicial expertise. (laughs) Such as it is. Um, I think the critics may have a point, Bill, uh, for a couple reasons. I I first note that, once again, uh, this matter will probably be decided in the courts rather than in the legislature uh, because... Several suits uh, have already been filed uh, challenging the the governor's, or more accurately, the Department of Health and Human Services' recent orders. Um, yet it seems to me that the challenge is roughly as you've outlined it. Um, I have not seen the complaints themselves, but the challenge I would make is, A, um, 
the public health code under which uh, the de- director of the department is issuing these these sort of uh, counterpart orders is itself uh, relatively devoid of standards with respect to what can be done in the situation of a public emergency. There's a lot of detail about procedure, but not a whole lot about standards. And, of course, that's precisely the issue on which the Michigan Supreme Court found uh, the old riot act to be unconstitutional, a lack of sufficient standards. Uh, so it, it looks to me that the matter is going to be resolved in the courts. One of the cases already has been assigned to the Court of Appeals, my old court, to the Court of Claims, uh, which is a sort of an anomaly, but it's a one-judge court within the Court of Appeals. And the judge to which it's been assigned is Christopher Murray, who also happens to be the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. Uh, he's a very level-headed, uh, very straightforward judge. I think both sides will get a fair hearing. Uh, and I'm not going to predict which way it'll go, only to comment to say the same kind of challenges are arising against the uh, Department of Health's uh, uh, orders as prevailed in the Supreme Court recently under the old riot act. Okay, well, speaking of legal challenges, um, I think a number of lawsuits have already been filed and more are probably forthcoming uh, against the state of Michigan from, let's say, businesses that were locked down uh, by Governor Whitmer under her executive orders in the spring and summer that the Supreme Court has now said are unconstitutional and illegal. They're saying, wait a second here. Uh, we were shut down uh, unconstitutionally and illegally. We're suing. What about that? Well, and, and of course, there is a, a statute under which they can do that, which is the Court of Claims Act. A, a claim against the state uh, goes to the Court of Claims, which is now lodged in uh, in the Michigan Court of Appeals. Um, I, I think that's a tougher stretch, Bill, uh, than a forward-looking suit that says, you can't do this prospectively as compared to a backward-looking suit that says we were damaged because you do it. Uh, the problem is the proof of damages. Um, that, that may be get, getting uh, a little tricky because uh, essentially it's, it's a complicated accounting problem. How do, you, how do you show your damages and over what period of time? Yeah, Judge Bill Whitbeck, there's also the matter of Unlock Michigan. Those were the petitions that were filed a couple of weeks ago with the Secretary of State with a huge number of signatures, 550,000, way more than the threshold, uh, to repeal or abolish the 1945 Riot Act. Now, uh, coincidentally, later that same day when the petitions were filed, the Supreme Court ruled the Riot Act is unconstitutional. It and, indeed. And so a lot of people are saying, well, then unlock Michigan petitions are irrelevant. We don't need to pay any attention to them anymore. But unlock Michigan says, wait a second here. This is like Freddy Krueger. You got to drive a stake in it. Uh, we got to kill this thing. We can't rely on this court decision saying the act is unconstitutional. Maybe there's some wiggle room there that it will somehow emerge from burial and come back to haunt us. So we want the Secretary of State to certify these petitions and get them quickly to the legislature, which will have 40 days to 
support them, majority vote in each chamber, which the Republicans, you could imagine, will do if they still control both chambers. And the question is, when can they do that? Do they have to do it by the end of the year? Because if the Democrats seize control of the House in the election on November 3rd, and this ticks over into January, the Democrats in the House will probably block that from happening. And then there's a bill that has been introduced that's going through the legislature to abolish the 1945 Riot Act. That's, I think, cleared the Senate. It's over in the House. Uh, but that's a bill. It has to be signed by the governor, even if it clears both chambers. And you know Gretchen Whitmer will veto it. So where are we on all this? Well, it's kind of a game of, and I don't like the term game. Let me let me rephrase that. It's kind of a situation of three-dimensional chess uh, because you've got a lot of things going on all at once. I think to address the uh, Unlock Michigan issue, uh, were I advising them, and I'm not, but were I advising them, I would take the same position they're currently taking, perhaps for a little different reason. The Supreme Court decision uh, finding the, the Riot Act to be unconstitutional was a four to three decision uh, written by uh, uh, Justice Markman, uh, an old colleague of mine. Uh, Steve Markman is age limited. Uh, this year. So he'll be off the court at the end of the year, or more accurately, January 20th of next year. Uh, and, you know, there's an election taking place. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz has just written a book called uh, One Vote Away. Well, uh, the, the, the ruling finding the Riot Act to be unconstitutional was four to three. So it's one vote away uh, from being reversed if the new court uh, had a case before it under which uh, they were uh, to have that question presented to them. Now, it is precedent, but as we've all learned, uh, or those of us who watch judicial confirmation hearings, precedent is kind of a, a, a funny thing. Uh, precedent influences the courts, but does not always bind them. A new wow. court might uh, reverse uh, the decision of uh, on the Riot Act, finding it unconstitutional. So if I were unlike Michigan, I would say, wait a minute, um, that decision could be reversed. It could be reversed next year in an appropriate case. Right. We're going to drive a stake through its heart uh, <laughs> by repealing it through the initiative process. Yeah, well, listen, I think you put your finger on it, so you kind of confirmed a lot of people's suspicions. Thank you, Judge Bill Whitbeck. You've been very insightful as usual. Thanks for being our guest. It's my pleasure, Bill. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have on the line with us somebody who is a very familiar name to Michigan politics and to the voters of Michigan, Terry Lynn Land. Terry Lynn Land, thanks for being our guest. Well, thank you, Bill Ballinger. It's great to be on your show. Glad to see you're still out there watching what's going on in our wonderful great state. <laughs> and there's always a lot going on. Now, I mean, you have had so many different offices you've served in over time, just tell me uh, right off the bat and our listeners, uh, just remind them. Uh, we know you were eight years secretary of state, but what else? Well, before that, I served as county clerk in Kent County for eight years. Uh, truly enjoyed that. Loved the election process, loving 
helping customers, uh, um, you know, at the counter, getting their paperwork from government, and, of course, the voting process. And so as county clerk, I decided the boss of elections was the secretary of state, and if we wanted to go to one election system in the state, that was where to go. And as you know, we did that. Now we have optical scan and one whole system in the state of Michigan. Before that, I also was a party leader. I was the county party chair. And currently, last year, I got elected to the district chair for the third district. And that's where I was when this opportunity came up for the Wayne State University Board. Um, as some of you know, if you read the newspaper, uh, the Secretary of State uh, kicked off our candidate, Diane Danaskis, who had uh, ran at the convention and won, along with Don Gates, um, to be our two nominees for the Republican position on the Wayne State Board of Governors. And uh, she had not filed the paperwork correctly. Of course, the state party sued. Unfortunately, it was too late. And so we had literally 24 hours uh, to put another candidate on. And uh, Chairman Cox called me up and said, Terry, uh, you've uh, worked with Wayne State when you were Secretary of State. You know, as you know, Bill, you get a lot of great titles as Secretary of State, and one of them was Chief Traffic Safety Officer. Well, with that came uh, the responsibility of working with a lot of great folks, and especially in the engineering department at Wayne State. So I went every year uh, to their conference, um, talked to the students, spoke at their conference, and talked about traffic safety. I'm very familiar with the campus. I know the president, Roy Wilson. And so Chairman uh, Cox said, Terry, uh, it's your time to step up. So I did, got on the ballot, and I'm running for Wayne State Board of Governors. Wow. Um, I understand there are a lot of billboards uh, down in metro Detroit area with uh, Terry Lynn Land's name on them. Is that correct? That's right. Now, as you know, I literally got in the race less than a month ago. So to put together a normal grassroots kind of campaign was a little short notice. Um, and so what I wanted is to remind the voters out there, as you mentioned earlier, I've served in a lot of different areas in state government, local government, uh, been involved in the political process for a long time in Wayne State. I think I could bring some of that expertise and experience there. You know, I want to be warriors for the students and the parents and the, and the folks out there that uh, utilize that great university in Michigan, you know, as a law school, as a medical school, and of course, I'm very familiar with the engineering school and their traffic safety division and all of the, all of the other things the students have the opportunities to uh, participate in. So um, I just want to go out there and help our great state and Wayne State. Terry Lynn Lynn, I understand that the Wayne State University Board of Governors right now, eight members, and I think there's only one Republican on the board, isn't there? Right. Currently, there's only one Um and that's one of the reasons why Diane Danaskis had decided to run. She'd been on before and um, had, uh, you know, the opportunity to serve. That's why she wanted to serve. Um, and unfortunately, you know, as I said, uh, the Secretary of State kicked her off the ballot. But Don Gates is a former alumni um, from Wayne State um, in the IT profession. He's running. I'm running. And uh, we really want to help the university. I'll tell you, the medical school is so critical. Uh, we need healthcare workers, we need doctors, we need more people to go into the medical field. Um, and here we have a university right here in Michigan, right in the center of Detroit, um, that can do that. Now, one of the things people have talked about is tuition costs. Well, I have an interesting idea, Bill, I'd like to share with you today. New York University Medical School, if you saw 60 Minutes a couple years ago, they went ahead, and the dean there, Dr. Grossman, put together a fund where they fund all the medical students. 
So now if you go to that university, there's no cost. And what they found is that it was over $200,000 that the students were getting in debt, which would force them as medical folks to go into the higher-paying profession. We need folks in local communities. We need them doing family practice, being out there with uh, the folks that need them. So they found that after they did this, they raised over $600 million, that within two years, diversity. I think we should take a step from what they did and see if we can do that right here in the center of Detroit. Well, as I understand it, the Wayne State Board, even though there's seven Democrats on it and only one Republican, the division on that board is not between Republicans and Democrats. It's a 4-4 deadlock. Uh, They've been warring with each other, these two factions, for like a couple of years. A lot of it involves the president, whom you say you know. I mean, what about that? Uh, Can you make a difference in this if you get elected? Well, exactly, and that's why I brought up what New York University Medical School did, because the biggest issue is that medical school. And as you know, that's very expensive to run. Um, They've had their challenges. They were with the DMC, and now they're looking at Ford um, hospital systems. So they have had challenges there, and part of it has been the cost in running a medical school. That's not an easy thing to do, even though the college is about the same size as uh, Grand Valley on the western side of the state their expenses are a lot higher. And that's why one of the things I think we need to do is really focus on that medical school. And that's where the division has been on whether you keep the medical school or whether you sell the medical school. I say we keep it. I think we should be proud of it. We should get the community to support it and get it to a school that folks in Michigan can go to so we can have more medical professionals and to have people out there to help everyone. I just think that's so important. We're just about out of time, but how do you campaign for this board and still help out in the 3rd Congressional District way over on the other side of the state in West Michigan? Uh, What do you do to get your message out around the state? You are in much better shape than most candidates because your name is so well known from your years as Secretary of State. But are you doing anything different this time? Well, we, you know, we've done the billboards, and as you know, the world has changed a little bit, Bill. The Facebook, the Twitter, the, all of the, the media, we're doing a lot of pushing it out there with our message. I have a website at terrylinland.com, very simple, terrylinland.com. You can take a look at it. It talks about what I want to do. It gives the background and the history of the university. So check that out. Um, I'm talking to folks. I'm going to events. Uh, we are doing, you know, limited events, as you know. It's it's a challenge out there to do that, but there have been a lot of rallies that they've put out, and of course uh, the bus tours that uh, the state party is going to do these last two weekends. So just getting that message out, doing emails, doing Facebook, and uh, trying to get the information out. And again, Bill, I appreciate you having me on the show to get that message out. Hey, I'm glad to have you. Uh, just one last question: uh, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden at the top of the ticket. That's going to be very important in terms of. What happens in these state educational board races on down the ballot? The result very often is a result of what happens at the top of the ticket. So how do you feel about things overall in Michigan right now? Well, um, as you as you recall, I have offices before, and I actually ran for the state board of ed uh, between uh, being county clerk and uh, secretary of state. Um, they asked me to run then. We did kind of a billboard campaign, actually, for that. And actually, even though I didn't win that, I was the highest 
vote-getter of the Republicans that ran that time. So part of this really depends on name ID and getting your information out there. The top of the ticket does matter, uh, but the fact that people straight ticket vote now has changed a little bit. There's less of them that do that. But you're right. It's still about straight ticket voters. So it, it is very important that Trump wins Michigan. How do you feel about Wayne State overall, just very quickly, because we're out of time? Sure. No, again, it's a great university with great students that just need some help to promote and to raise some funds to make the university be the success it should be. Hey, listen, you gave a great across-the-board look, insight on everything that's going on politically, not only for Wayne State and the race for its board, but over in the 3rd Congressional District. Thank you, Terry Lindland, for being our guest. No problem, Bill. You have a great day. Same to you. We'll be back in a minute with our final guest. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back one more time, and we are very fortunate to have with us State Representative Julie Kelly, a Republican of Portland in Ionia County, Representative Kelly, welcome to the Political Insider. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Well, the basis on which I want to ask you to appear and talk right now is your Republican work group for the state House of Representatives that announced a plan earlier this week on how to deal with with the coronavirus going forward. Why did you do this, and what did your plan constitute? Well, for months now, since COVID changed the lives of everyone, um, we've been, we in the legislature have been fielding thousands of calls, trying to understand what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and why. And for the most part, as Michiganders, we've been waiting for the next press conference and the next announcement. And a number of states have actually had metrics in place that took out a lot of the anxiety and made it very clear to residents what would happen when and why. So we can answer all of those questions if we all have access to the data. But in the meantime, my constituents have been asking, why is, where's the data that still says it's unsafe for me to uh, visit my mom? Now, the nursing homes recently came out with that order that opens that visitation inside. It's overdue, but it's great that it finally happened. What's the data that demonstrates that my employer has to stay closed? What's the data that says I can't go buy a can of paint? Obviously, that was months ago. But all along, we've had this lack of clarity. And so we're trying to introduce a plan that is data-driven and completely transparent so that people know if their county can hit five key metrics. And this is a a high bar. This will not be easy to do, but we want counties that are low risk to have more control over their own decisions. And so if you hit five key elements, that would be case rate, positivity, hospitalization capacity, sufficient PPE and testing, uh, and you maintain that for 14 days, then the county can start deciding what's best for their communities because they know exactly what's needed to begin with. Representative Kelly, let me ask you, would you have done this? Would your work group have put itself together and come forward with this plan if the state Supreme Court had not ruled two weeks ago that the governor's executive orders 
which created a lot of this confusion, was unconstitutional. I mean, as long as her orders were in place, did you feel stymied in your ability to even come out with anything like this? Or uh, did you, would you have come out with it anyway at, at this point or maybe later or whatever? Uh, because that's one of the criticisms of the governor's executive orders is that the data that she supposedly was relying on, she never made apparent. Nobody ever saw it. Everybody kept saying, well, on what basis are you doing this, Governor? And it never was opened up. It was never forthcoming. And now the court has said everything the governor did was unconstitutional. And so now it sounds to me like you're saying, okay, finally, the legislature has some skin in the game, which we should have had all along. And so we're coming out with something. You want our plan? We got a plan. Here's our plan. And this is actually a continuation of a bill that we offered up in April. So the legislature sent a bill to the governor that essentially said COVID-19 is not going anywhere. We understand that this is an elongated battle, and we would like to be partners in the process. And at the time, we had fashioned a regional response, and we've since determined that a county-level response is better. And you've seen the administration agree with that as recent as this week, in that when nursing homes can decide whether or not it's safe to open for visitation, that's being determined at a county-level risk assessment. Well, now, supporters of the governor and other critics, whatever you want to call them, have responded to your announcement by your work group this week by saying, well, this is just too localized. This is a mess. 83 different counties. That's not what we need. Coronavirus is bigger than the borders of a single county. Uh, This can't be done. Uh, And they've kind of trashed your effort uh, even before it has a chance to get a hearing uh, or much less consideration in bill form. How do you respond to that? I think the knee-jerk reaction um, has been unfortunate. But as the bill goes through the committee process and really gains more public understanding, it will prove itself to be science-based and data-driven. These were not numbers that we picked out of the air. Uh, we looked very carefully at a number of states and talked with Michigan doctors. We talked with Michigan epidemiologists. We spent time with hospital experts and really set a high bar. This isn't, let's say this bill passes and poof, it's in law. This doesn't mean we have 83 different responses because you are graduating up to a point of local control. And right now we expected to see an increase in numbers because it's fall and everyone goes inside and germs just travel more. Uh, We see flu season at the exact same time. So I want to make it clear that this is an opportunity for low-risk regions to make their own decisions, not just everybody all at one time. And we have seen some of this in play already. Look at the Return to Learn program um, or the the platform that was agreed to on a bipartisan basis signed by the governor. We do have one region that has less stringent requirements because it's lower risk. Representative Callie, uh, there are some hopeful signs the last couple of weeks that the governor and the legislature are working together at long last on several things like the fiscal year 2021 budget and the bills you passed last week and that she signed this week dealing with COVID. Um, Do you think that if you get a bill or bills through the legislature and on the governor's desk, 
that would flesh out what you talked about in your announcement at the work group this week and what you're talking about now, that the governor will sign them. Do you, uh, do you have confidence that she's on board? I think this process is one that requires time and communication. And as you just stated, we're doing that again. We're gaining momentum. Uh, we're remembering how to work together now that the judicial system has required it. So I really look forward to ongoing conversations about this because I think it's really important that our locals are empowered. We're a really large state, very diversified. We shut down in mid-March, and our last county got its first case in July. Imagine being locked down for months without one positive case. So what we've learned throughout all this is that one size does not fit all, and we need to do a better job of empowering our locals. They have the exact same power as DHHS. EHHS does in order to promulgate rules to protect their people. Aren't there some specific metrics, uh, like five of them, that you say counties should be looking at before they decide to do anything? Yes, exactly. Uh, So 55 cases or less per million would be the case rate. There's a positivity rate of 5% or less, making sure that our hospitals have at least 20% surge capacity PPE for two weeks on hand, and the ability to test at least 15 people per 10,000 every day. Well, let me ask you, while we're having this discussion, you are actually running for (laughs) re-election in the 87th House District, right? I am. And uh, do you hear anything at all up there other than coronavirus uh, in Ionia County? And I think you have maybe a portion of Barrie, is that correct? I do. I have all of Barry and uh, a good portion of Ionia. Well, so how are you campaigning? I mean, what's going on? Um, the needs have never been greater from my constituents. I've never heard from as many people as I have this year. And as you know, it's been a lot of uh, unemployment concerns. For a while, it was delayed medical access, um, individuals who just couldn't understand why they weren't allowed to return to work because those numbers weren't available uh, to them or to the legislature. And so the lack of information, we know that we want decisions to be made on science and data, but when you don't make that open and accessible, it it just frustrates people. And so my constituent services um, focus has been responding to the needs that have been created by uh, COVID-19 and the specific way that the state has responded to it. What about the so-called 1945 Riot Act? Um, You know, honestly, I'm asking this question right when we're out of time. Unlock Michigan. How are you looking at it very quickly in the in the state house? We are hoping that the secretary of state uh, does her job in a timely fashion and processes that so that it can be moved to the legislature. You've given us a good overall picture of the situation and explaining what you came up with, the House Republican Work Group recommendations early this week and legislation that may follow. I want to thank you so much, Representative Julie Calley of the 87th House District Republican of Portland for being our guest. Thank you for having me. Health and safety should not be politicized. Absolutely. We'll be back next week, folks, with still more.